So our reading today, uh, we continue in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Wives, in the same way submit to yourselves, sorry, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Thanks, Ronnie, and good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Let's pray as we come to God's word. A simple prayer from Psalm 25. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Amen. Well, there have been two dates in my, the forefront of my mind in these last few weeks. Um, the first has been uh, Easter Day, next Sunday, and uh, we look forward um, to celebrating the resurrection. Uh, the second has been today, when in our series in 1 Peter, I am due to speak on 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7, this reading that we've just had. And I suppose at points in the last few weeks, I've thought maybe I should just uh, kick this can down the road a little further, do something different perhaps. And the reason I felt like this is because of that, the uh, countercultural nature of these verses, which you will have picked up on as well, I'm sure. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Verse 1, verse 3 and 4, your beauty should be that of a gentle and quiet spirit. Verse 5 and 6, Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. Verse 7, where, women are, where wives are spoken of as the weaker partner. There is no hiding the countercultural nature of these verses. 
and I've certainly felt a hesitance uh, in the last few weeks. Maybe you too, as you've heard that reading being read, maybe you've thought, um, how can the Bible say this stuff? Or I can see that it does, but I wish that it didn't. Or even I've, I've, I've come to love this teaching, but it's been a journey. But if God is good, and he is, and if God's ways lead to human flourishing, which they do, and if God's word is true and relevant, which it is, then we can't just skip over bits of the Bible because they're countercultural. That would actually be to be a mistake, and it would be to forgo blessing. So we're thinking this morning about marriage. And really the question is, what does the good life look like when it comes to marriage? How can husbands and wives be Christ-like in marriage? Now, it may well be that um, you're not a husband or a wife here this morning, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, how is this going to apply to me? Um, maybe I shouldn't have bothered coming out this morning. And yes, of course, this may not apply to you directly. But we've got to remember when we hear teaching like this that actually we are part of a church family and that all of us have, an, have a, a responsibility to encourage and pray for one another. And this is going to help you in that. I remember a, a married friend of ours saying that the person who had helped her most in her marriage was an unmarried friend. And that's great. Someone who had uh, heard uh, teaching, God's, God's words teaching on the, on the topic. So the plan for this morning, we're going to think about the good and godly wife, and then we're going to think about the good and godly husband. So firstly, um, the good and godly uh, wife, looking here uh, initially at verses one and two. I'll just read those verses again. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now, Peter's addressing here all uh, Christian wives, uh, but he has a particular eye to wives of unbelieving husbands. And maybe they got married as unbelievers, but then she heard the gospel and believed. And maybe they got married as believer, believers, but then subsequently, sometime later, he uh, turned away from the faith. Maybe even as a young Christian, she uh, sinfully ignored God's word, telling her not to marry an unbeliever and married him anyway. In any case, uh, she's a believer and he isn't. And so to the believing wife, Peter offers hope and instruction. He offers hope. And it's as if he says to her, don't write your husband off as unreachable. It can be very, very discouraging when someone who is close to us and someone we love doesn't share our faith. But Peter suggests here that some unbelieving husbands may still be won over to the gospel. If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over. It's not guaranteed, but it's not impossible because we're dealing here with God. 
don't write him off as, un as unreachable. But he offers some instruction too. Uh, but don't try and badger him into believing. Um, as, as a believer, very naturally she will have shared something with him of God's work in her life. Uh, she may well have encouraged him to investigate the faith for himself, but he's not for changing. He's not willing to believe. So what next? Well, Peter says that having heard the gospel, if he's going to be won over, it's not going to be through constant debate and argument. It's not going to be through 100,000 gospel comments and weekly summons to repent and believe. He's not going to be badgered into believing. And instead, Peter talks about him being won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Which, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, is right on theme. Because what is the thing that persuades critics to become Christians? It's good lives. So he offers instruction. Don't try and badger him into believing. And actually, I think that can be a temptation for all of us when we're very close to someone. Um, so imagine you're speaking to someone um, you don't know particularly well. And amazingly, the conversation turns to the gospel. And you say some, you speak of Christ. And um, they offer a really kind of paper-thin reason why they're not prepared to believe. Maybe they say something like, well, yeah, yeah, I can't believe I'm a scientist. Or, well, did Jesus really exist, you know, even exist in the first place? Something paper thin. Now, when we hear something like that, we know what's being said. We know they're saying, I don't really want to engage. I don't really want to talk about this. And because we don't know them well, we, we back off. We give them space. We don't force it. But when that when that's someone close to us and we know them well, it can just be tempting to keep pushing. So instead of backing off, we take them to time and say, so what that you're a scientist? What has that got to do with anything? There are tons of Christian scientists. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And before long, we've, we've caused an argument it's been counterproductive. And to wives of unbelieving husbands in particular, Peter says, don't fall into that trap. Don't try and badger him into believing. You might know the story about the, the, the fable about the wind and the sun who both have a, who have a challenge to try and get a, a, a man's coat off his back. And the wind goes first and blows with all of its strength and power and might. But what happens? The man just buttons up his coat and holds on to it even more tightly. And then it's the sun's turn. And the sun, by contrast, beams out its warm rays so that the man of his own volition decides himself, I'm going to take off my coat. Well, to wives of unbelieving husbands who long for their husbands to be saved, Peter says, channel that longing into being like the son so that he might be won over by godly behavior. Don't badger him 
into believing. And just to say, too, that look, if you're uh, maybe even here this morning, you are a husband and you don't believe, um, we, it's so good to have you here. And we don't want to badger you into believing either. We would love you to come to faith, but we don't want to badger you. That's not what we want to do. What in particular, then, is the sunshine and the warmth that has the power to win a husband for Christ? What's the good living that Peter has in mind? Well, in verse 1, it looks like submission. Verse 2, purity and reverence. Verse 3 and 4, the inward beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Let's have a look at these things. Um, Firstly, on submission, and there's a fair amount uh, to say on this. Um, The Bible is, I think, very, very clear um, that men and women are equally important. They are of equal value. They are of equal worth in God's sight. They are just as important as each other. You see that here as well in verse 7, where Peter speaks of Christian women as heirs with their believing husbands of the gracious gift of life. They are co-heirs together of eternal life. So in 2011, uh, the British monarchy finally changed its policy so that both sons and daughters could have equal right to the throne. That has always been the case in God's kingdom. As men and women, we are co-heirs together. All believers, regardless of our gender, will receive an inheritance. Men and women are equally valuable, equally important, equally worthy in God's sight. And that is something that is very, very consistent throughout the scriptures. But the Bible is also very clear that men and women have been designed differently uh, with different roles to play. Um, Let me take a a sporting analogy to illustrate this. Um, Last weekend was uh, the boat race. I don't know if you saw it or not. The yearly boat race, Cambridge, Oxford, and it's rowing. Um, I want to mention two types of crew members. Um, firstly, you've got the uh, coxswain. That's the that's the person with the back with, with his with his back to us. Uh, the coxswain has got to be courageous. He's got to be a tactician, uh, a natural leader, a coach in the boat. They talk about mentally astute, physically light and small. That's the coxswain. And then kind of maybe uh, uh, position three, four, five, and six, you've got uh, the engine room rower. Uh, They've got to be as strong as an ox. They've got to have a a superhuman lung capacity. And ideally, they should be be about nine foot three. (laughs) Which crew member is of more value? Neither. They are as important as each other. If you're going to win the race, you need both. But that's not to say they have the same role. One is a born coxswain. One is a born engine room rower. And you can't switch them around and expect to win the race. Equally valuable, absolutely, and yet also different by design. And that's something of what the Bible teaches on men and women in marriage equally valuable and different by design. So the Bible teaches that the husband is the head 
is to lovingly lead, and the wife's response is to submit. And if you think that that sounds all very, very passive uh, for the wife, well, have a read of uh, Proverbs 31, the wife of noble character. Uh, Just reading uh, that chapter is exhausting as you read of her intelligent enterprise. Now, part of the problem with this is that when it comes to uh, that word submission, we think submission means inferior. And in the world, it often does mean that, but not in God's economy. Let me just give you an example of Jesus and the Father. Uh, Jesus submits to the Father's will. Remember in the garden? Yet not my will, but yours be done, he prays. And yet at the same time, the New Testament is very clear that the son is not inferior to the father. They are equally valuable. In fact, if you treat the son as less important as the father, you're into gross theological error. This is the major problem. Submission does not mean inferior, not in God's language. What does submission mean here in the context of marriage? Well, first note, this, is not, this does not say husbands make your wives submit. No. It says wives submit yourselves to your husbands. So husbands, Peter's not addressing us here. We can't go home this evening and say to our wives, you've got to submit to me. No, it's the wife's own choice to obey God and to submit, not for the husband to enforce Note as well here that it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. It's not women, submit yourself to all men. The scope is is marriage. This doesn't mean never confronting him about his sin. And it absolutely doesn't mean that uh, she must passively submit to an abusive husband. That really goes without question. And just to say on that, that if you find yourself in a circumstance like that, you must feel free not to put up with it, but to seek help in whatever way would be appropriate. Speak to whomever you need. This is absolutely not endorsing that kind of passive submission to abuse. But what does it mean to submit? Well, I want to refer here to an author Uh, Sharon James, she's written this superb, uh, comprehensive book called God's Design for Women in an Age of Gender Confusion. And this is fantastic. I I haven't read anything that is better. And she says that in the light of Scripture, uh, God has designed him to be team captain, if you want to put it that way. And so providing his leadership isn't sinful. Submission means saying yes to his leadership doesn't mean you don't advise your captain, doesn't mean you can't express disagreement or concern. He needs your perspective on things. He absolutely ought to listen to you and to your wisdom. But submission means saying yes to his leadership. I think that's a helpful uh, definition. But there's more to uh, being a good and godly wife than submission. To move on in our verses, it also means prioritizing inner Christ-like beauty. Let me look, at, look here at verses 3 and 4. Your beauty 
uh, should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, I'm convinced from Scripture that God isn't uh, forbidding jewelry and nice clothes and getting your hair done and makeup. Scripture has got a, a, a lot of positive references to these things. The Bible isn't down on outward beauty. What Peter's saying here is that, is that being beautiful on the inside matters more, that character is even more important than appearance. So what is this inner beauty that he speaks of? Well, verse 4, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Let me just quote again Sharon James on this. She's done a load of thinking and searching the scriptures on it. Uh, she says, it doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that the naturally extroverted, lively women have got to change their personalities so that they habitually whisper. No. It speaks of calm consistency, of mature self-control coming from trusting in God. So inner beauty um, is a Christ-like quality. It's about not being pushy and argumentative. It's about being peaceful. And as I say, that is just, uh, just like the Lord Jesus. How does Jesus describe himself? I am gentle and humble in heart. Such godliness is of great worth in God's sight. Amazing incentive. We've got to get on to husbands. Um, so for the sake of time, I'm not going to look at the example of Sarah and Abraham in verses 5 and 6. You may want to uh, later at home and do have a read of Genesis 12 to 20 as you do that. But we've got to get on to husbands. So what about the good and godly husband? Well, let's read verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, we might think it's strange that Peter takes six verses to speak uh, to wives and just one verse to speak to husbands. Wives, you've got to do this, 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 and this. Let me take, t tell you at length. Husbands, you just need to do this. Now, I asked Louise, do you think this is uneven? And she said with remarkable restraint, Phil, this is not uneven. This is just realistic. Uh, you tell a husband to do six things, he's going to do just the first thing anyway. I think that's fair enough. And actually, when you look at this whole section uh, over the last few weeks, Peter's main theme has been submission. So as, as citizens, submit yourselves uh, to hu every human authority. Slaves, submit yourselves to your master. And so naturally here too, his pattern, his emphasis has been on submission, wives and the call to submit. What I think is really interesting is that in this verse, for the first time, he breaks with that pattern and addresses the other party, husbands. He doesn't do that for government. He doesn't do that for slave masters. But he does address husbands. So it's almost as if Peter cans his, his really neat structure 
because it's just too important at this point not to address husbands about their responsibility. Peter is very keen to speak to men, to husbands. What's his message? Be considerate. So husbands, as you think about leading the family, maybe about those big decisions and big um, areas, where you're going to live, about the two of you and your careers and who needs to work and diary decisions and what you sign up for at church, be considerate. Be considerate of your wife. So there's to be no, uh, we're doing it this way because it's what I want to do and I'm in charge. No. Husbands, we're not to ask ourselves, what do I want? What would fulfill me? What would I most enjoy? We're to ask, what would, um, what would best serve her? What would she appre- appreciate? And I guess that means getting good at listening. Maybe something we struggle with. It means taking really seriously what our wives say, learning to ask the right questions, inviting her to express concern and hesitation. And not just when it comes to big, big picture family leadership. We're to be considerate in everything. What does she want to watch on the telly? What does she want to do on the weekend? How can I make her life that bit easier? So yes, it's headship, and yes, it's leadership, but it's not ruling, and it's certainly not micromanaging, and it's not lording it over her. It's loving, uh, lovingly leading. Be considerate. And again, that is like Christ. All of these traits in in this chapter are Christ-like traits. Peter, Peter goes on, treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. That term weaker partner here seems to be a reference to physical strength. Uh, Because of their physical differences, men tend to be physically stronger than women. Now, you will know plenty of exceptions to that where women are, are stronger, physically stronger than their contemporaries. I do. But the trend is that men tend to be physically stronger. Yeah, because we're, we're different biologically. But whilst many men have exploited their physical strength to abuse and bully and put down and intimidate women, Peter says, husbands, no, no, no. You are to treat them with respect and honor. So it's no snide comments uh, if they can't do something that you can do. It's no uh, typical woman as if the male way of doing things is somehow better or more right. No, it's respect. Respect the difference. Respect your co-heir in Christ and honor. And this is so important for Peter that he issues husbands with a warning. Be considerate. Treat them with respect so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So husbands, you might be fully devoted to prayer. You may pray morning and evening. You may pray through your lists. You may be here at every prayer meeting. But if you're being inconsiderate to your wife, you're wasting your time because God's not interested. He's not going to listen to you. That's how important it is to God that husbands lead in a considerate 
and respectful and loving and sacrificial Christ-like way. So what have we said when it comes to the good life, when it comes to marriage? Wives, submit submit yourselves to your own husbands, and if they don't believe, you may win them to Christ. Husbands, be considerate with your wives. Honor them as you lovingly lead your family. And just as we close in the last 30 seconds, it's just worth us thinking again, as we have all these past few weeks, about the potential impact of this on the world around us. Peter has been saying, good lives persuade critics to become Christians. And perhaps, and in this area too, and so whilst the thought perhaps of intelligent submission and loving leadership in marriage, whilst the thought of that might be a put off for, for many in our world, when they see that kind of marriage and practice in the harmony when it works well, as Peter has been saying all along, that can be so attractive, not just to unbelieving husbands, but even to unbelieving neighbors and friends and colleagues and a watching world. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the new life that we have because of him. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins, uh, for the hope of eternal life. We thank you for his wonderful example of gentleness and submission, of kindness, of purity and reverence, of consideration, of respect and honor. Help us, please, for those who are married, we pray, please, that Christ would be our example, that we would look to him both as our Savior and as our Lord and example. We pray this in his name. Amen.